Chapter Five of the Girl Aviators and the Phantom Airship by Margaret Burnham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. A Narrow Escape. But Roy's quick eye had noted one loophole of escape, a gap in the bank. Truly, it was taking a terrible risk to dash the car through it. The boy did not know what lay beyond and in taking the chance he was running almost as great a risk of annihilation as if he kept straight on. But to have done the latter would have been to crash into a solid wall of moving freight cars as they bumped across the grade crossing. It was almost certain that they would be thrown out and maybe injured, but Roy did not hesitate. With a quick twist of his steering wheel he sent the car spinning on two wheels for the gap. For an instant it seemed as if the vehicle would capsize under the sudden change of direction, but it did not, although it tilted over at a dangerous angle. Whiz! In a flash they were through the gap, the landscape blurring, so terrific was the speed. The next instant there was a sickening shock. Instinctively Roy threw out an arm to protect his fair companion. Hardly had he done so before he felt himself impelled through the air as if from a catapult, and all grew blank. When Roy came to himself, his head ached as if it would burst. It was some few seconds, in fact, before he realized what had occurred. When he did, he looked around him. A few paces away lay the still form of Jess Bancroft. She was stretched out on a cushion upon which she must have fallen. For an instant, as he gazed at her features as pale as marble and her closed eyes, a dreadful thought flashed through Roy's mind. What if she were dead? but to his great relief he speedily ascertained that the girl was breathing. An ugly bruise on her forehead may have accounted for her continued swoon, although she had fainted with terror the instant the train appeared beneath them on the crossing. The car, its hood crumpled up as if it had been made of paper instead of metal, stood at the foot of a tree not far off. No wonder we were thrown out thought Roy as he gazed at the wreck and considered the speed at which they had encountered the obstruction. The wonder is we escape with our lives. After a brief and ineffectual attempt to arouse the girl, the boy looked about him for some means of assistance. The cowardly train crew had not stopped when they saw the accident. Visions of damage suits and summary discharges may have drifted through their minds, for extra freights were supposed to send flagmen to the crossing to warn all traffic of the train's approach. Suddenly Roy recollected the two men he had seen spring from behind the hedge as the runaway auto approached the gap. What had become of them? Apparently they had taken to their heels also, for not a sign was to be seen of them. Odd, thought the boy to himself. One would think the first instinct of a human being at seeing an accident like this would be to stay and help. But hold on, maybe they've gone for a doctor. A retired physician, Dr. Mays, lives not far from here. In the meantime, if I could only get some cold water... Suddenly he spied a small brook at the foot of the hill. Ill and dazed as he felt, Roy sprinted toward it, and wetting his handkerchief, hastened back to Jess. Kneeling by her side, he bathed her forehead. He was rewarded in a few moments by beholding her eyelids flutter and open. In a few seconds more she was fully conscious, but weak and shaken. Roy collected the scattered cushions from the wreck, and placing them like a mattress laid the girl upon them. She thanked him with a wan smile and then lay still once more. Roy wisely did not speak. 
he judged that perfect quiet was what she wanted at that moment. While he sat by her side meditating what to do, a sudden noise caused him to look upward. It was a noise like the drone of a giant bumblebee. It came from directly above his head. "'The golden butterfly!' shouted Roy, springing to his feet. Above him, at an elevation of some thousand feet, the yellow wings of the Prescott aeroplane were outlined against the blue, like the form of one of her namesakes. Roy shouted and waved frantically. Presently he was rewarded by the flutter of a handkerchief from the chassis of the plane. At the same instant it was swung about, and revolving in graceful circles began to spiral down to the earth. "'Hooray! It's Peggy and Jimsy!' cried Roy. "'I recollect now Jess told me that Jimsy was to have a lesson today.' Ten minutes later the aeroplane lighted in the field not a hundred yards from the wreck. As it reached the ground, Peggy started the engine at reduced speed. The aerial marvel began to scoot across the field toward Roy as obediently as if it had been an automobile under perfect control. Agitated as he was, Roy could not help feeling enthusiastic as the huge, glittering, flying thing came closer, its engine roaring and its propeller whirring angrily. And yet the dainty girl in the motor bonnet who was driving it had it under perfect control every second. Throwing back a lever and cutting off the spark and the gasoline, Peggy brought the aeroplane to a stop with a jerk. Jimsy, with alarmed questions on his lips, sprang out, while Roy helped his sister to alight. "'Goodness gracious, whatever has happened?' gasped the girl, as she stood on the ground and viewed the still form of her chum Jess, over which Jimsy was bending in genuine alarm. "'It's all right, sis,' Roy assured her. "'Jess is not badly hurt. See, she is looking up at you.' Peggy sped lightly over the turf to her chum's side. "'Oh, Peggy, dear, I'm so glad you've come. It was dreadful. But Roy was so brave. I'm sure I owe my life to him. For the last thing I recollect we were heading direct for the train.' She would have said more, but Peggy held up an admonitory finger. Turning to Roy, she sought an explanation of all that occurred. It was soon told, and then the question of summoning a physician came up. In the midst of the discussion, Peggy gave a glad little cry. "'The aeroplane! I can fly over to Dr. Mays's house. There's a dandy big pasture in the rear in which to alight.' "'By George, that's so,' agreed Roy. "'And I guess, although it sounds a bit startling, it's the only thing to do. We can't run the car, and nobody will be along here for hours, perhaps.' This road isn't traveled much. But Peggy, with that quick decision which was characteristic of her, was already halfway to the aeroplane. A moment more and she was in the chassis, and slipping into the driver's seat began adjusting the motor. "'I'll leave you to look after Jess,' said Roy to Jimsy, "'while I go along with Peggy. I'm not sure that she is as expert in managing an aeroplane as she thinks she is.' "'Well, she brought me over here at a great rate anyhow.' put in Jimsy loyally. And in the nick of time, too, said Roy, warmly pressing the other's hand. Oh, do be back as quickly as possible. My foot hurts dreadfully, moaned poor Jess, and my head feels as if a thousand dwarfs were hammering away inside it. We'll be back before you expect us, Roy said cheerily. Jimsy shouted something, but his words were drowned in the roar of the motor, as Roy clambered into the golden butterfly, and Peggy started the engine. 
the aeroplane dashed forward over the smooth turf and then seemed to take the air as lightly and easily as a bit of gossamer straight up it soared high above the treetops and was speedily reduced to a fast diminishing speck in the northwest in which direction lay dr mays's home looking downward from the speeding flyer the boy and girl aviators could see spread out below them like a checkerboard the fertile long island landscape through it ran the railroad looking like a glittering ribbon of steel off to the north the sea sparkled a few white sails dotting its surface the black rock lighthouse painted in bands of red and white formed a conspicuous object all at once on the road beneath them roy spied a solitary motorcyclist whom even at the height to which they had now risen he recognized as fanning harding he called his sister's attention to the rider he must have passed right by where the accident happened he remarked that road has no outlet for some distance funny that he didn't come to help us you must remember that the banks and hedge hid the place from the road peggy reminded him even fanning harding wouldn't have willfully passed you by when you were in such straits i don't think so either agreed roy and come to think of it bending over his handlebars as he is he would not be likely to have noticed the gap we plowed through look cried peggy suddenly he's stopping the girl was right the motorcycling boy whose pace had hitherto been as fast as that of the aeroplane could now be seen to slacken his machine and finally stop it leaning it against a fence he clambered into an adjoining field and with every evidence of extreme caution he crept toward a patch of woods at no great distance what can he be doing exclaimed peggy as she spoke they saw the boy below them take something from his hip pocket a pistol cried roy the next instant fanning harding had vanished into the path of woods without having noticed the aerial observers or at least so it appeared end of chapter five